Welcome and thank you for joining us. This is Troped Out, where we chat with your favorite and future favorite authors about all things tropes. I am author Emma C. Wells. Over there is author E.J. Winstrom, and our guest today is mystery author Mia P. Manansala. Mia, pronouns she, her, is a writer and book coach from Chicago who loves books, baking, and badass women. She uses humor and murder to explore the aspects of Filipino diaspora, queerness, and millennial love for pop culture. If you haven't read her debut mystery, Arsenic and Adobo, what are you waiting for? Go get it now, right now, so you can catch up for the second in series, Homicide and Hollow Hollow, which just released on February 8th. Welcome, Mia. We are so glad to have you on Troped Out. Yeah, and thanks for having me. Uh, when I heard about like the what this podcast was about, I was like, "That's this is perfect." Literally, the entire like first page of my debut is me leaning into the tropes of my genre. So I love it. Ooh, okay. Let's start there then. Let's talk about that. So you're talking about leaning into your tropes of the genre right from the start, and you write mm-hmm. cozy mysteries. So what's on that first page? So I mean, basically, the idea for for that book. It kind of came to me one day when I was talking with my mentor. So, so Em and I were part of this group called uh, Pitch Wars, and my mentor Kelly Garrett. We're, we're still friends to this day. You know, she was my mentor back in 2017, and we were talking about like some of the contemporary cozies we'd been reading at the time, and a lot of them like really leaned into rom-com tropes. Like everything that the both of us were reading was about like a single woman from a small town who moved to the big city couldn't hack it and had to return home because like she failed at business. She failed at love. Her family needed her to like save the Christmas tree, you know, like something like that. And we were joking about that. And then I, I, you know, I kissed her. I'm like, Oh my God, cozies are just rom-coms with dead bodies. And so one day I was riding the train to work and the first line of the book popped into my head, which was my name is Lila Makapagal and my life has become a rom-com cliche. So like that first line, fully formed character name and everything popped into my head. And I was like, oh, this is a story. So like I pulled out my phone, opened up my notes app and started typing it, started writing it down. And then the second line popped into my head, which was not many romantic comedies feature Asian American leads or dead bodies, but more on that later. And then like with those first two lines, I was like, I knew exactly like what the tone was going to be and who this character was. And, you know, I just kind of had to figure like dive a little deeper to figure out like what kind of like mischief she was going to get into. So like, again, like she's Filipino American woman from a small Midwestern town just outside of Chicago. She moved to the city for college caught her fiance cheating on her, hightailed it back to her town to save her aunt's restaurant. And while there, she runs into her high school sweetheart. But because it's not a rom-com, it's a murder mystery, her high school sweetheart is the town's vindictive food critic who's been trying to get her aunt's restaurant shut down. And so like one day, mid-meal, mid-review, he drops dead in the family restaurant and she becomes the main suspect. So like the like the first page and a half is me like hitting like these you know like girl from a small midwestern town with like a ridiculous name like check you know like moves to the big city to make things happen and like things fall apart check, you know so it's just like me listing a lot of the rom com cliches that also you know uh, coincide with cozy mystery cliches when I talk to people it's like not a lot of people are familiar with this particular subgenre so like I you know for people who are new to it I'm like it's Hallmark movies with dead bodies you know. No sex, no graphic violence on the page, no bad language, like that kind of thing. That's amazing. I really like that description because, yeah, I don't read a lot of cozy mysteries, but I know that there's a really loyal readership for it. And so 
I'm not as familiar with the tropes for that, but that that clicks like instantly. What do you feel are the like really core tropes that make it what it is? Like, so for example, like, I guess another way to ask this question would be like, if you wanted to write a cozy mystery that kind of technically checked the boxes, but didn't, that broke it a little bit, like just enough. So like, for example, in romance, if you to hit all the beats, you had all the dynamics and the chemistry between the characters and everything, but then at the end you did, you ended with a breakup. You know, like that sort of thing where like, no matter what else you do, that's not a, a romance novel. So like for Cozy Mystery, what are those crucial tropes? Okay. So like I said, you know, the people are like, you know, is Agatha Christie cozy? Is it, you know, like there's a lot of question of that. Like so far, like the only deal breakers, quote unquote, that people consider are, um, again, like no sex on the page or graphic violence described. or And some people say bad language, but of course, like bad language is... Some people, you know, consider like, damn, like a really strong swear word. And they'll be really upset about that. Whereas other people, it doesn't register as a swear at all. So like it kind of depends. So like that last one is like the one that kind of uh, it depends on the person. Um, so those are the big ones. You know, it's similar to like there has to be an, a, you know, HEA or HFN for a romance. There has to be no sex on the page or graphic violence for a cozy. Things that are not a prerequisite, but that you'll find very commonly. It's almost always a woman. Almost always. It tends to be if it's if it's not in a small town, it is in a very particular community. So like my friend, like Olivia Black writes the Brooklyn murder mysteries and nobody's like Brooklyn is not a small town, but it takes place in Williamsburg, which is kind of like a world of its own. And so like the idea of like a close knit community that is personally rocked by like this murder because it's one of those, you know, like, idyllic lentils, everybody knows everybody, like, who thought this would have happened here kind of a thing. So, like, the setting, the world, the communities is almost like a character in itself. There's almost always, like, a hook or a gimmick. Like, so, like, my books are, like, a subgenre of a subgenre. So, like, mine are known as culinary cozies because there's an entire section that are, like, specifically based around food, right? Because mine is centered around a, her aunt's restaurant. I've noticed that even peripherally from the outside about cozy mysteries is that there seems to be a lot of enthusiasm around food in one way or another for a lot of those readers. Like when I go look at an author's page within Cozy Mysteries, I see a lot more like recipes or pictures of food on their Instagrams than I see with other authors. Certainly nothing you'd ever see on my pages. <laughs> I stay as far from the kitchen as I can. So what do you think it is about Cozy Mysteries that makes um, like some sort of like communal interest in food so common? I mean, I guess... You know, you said the word communal, like, you know, as I mentioned, like the community is a huge part of the mystery of the, of the cozy mystery world. And, you know, they're, you know, one of the most common ways to, to get people together is like to break bread together. For me personally, I find food. So, I mean, food is like my favorite thing. Sorry to my husband and dogs. But like food for me, other than just like pleasure, other than just like sustenance, it can be like so many different things. Um, you know, like, again, I'm Filipino American. So like food is culture. Um, I was born and raised in Chicago. So it's one of the few connections like I have to my parents home. Food is love. I think anyone can understand, you know, even if you personally, uh, that is not your love language, or if you grew up in a home where cooking wasn't a big deal, like you can understand how for some people, 
they show their love by cooking and care and service to others. Like, you know, um, like that's something that's kind of just like generally understood, even if you don't personally consider it one of your love languages. Like food can show you characters' relationships and backstories in, in so many different ways. I love that so much. And when you put it in those terms, it starts to really click in terms of where that all comes from. It sounds like the core of Cozy Mystery is really just, com- just, it really comes down to the relationships of that Mm -hmm. character and the people who are closest around them, which is definitely not the first thing I ever would have thought of. So how does that work within your books, within this arsenic and adobo world that's in this book one? I mean, obviously it's in a restaurant, a family restaurant, Mm -hmm. but what does that mean in terms of how the food really shows up on the page and how those relationships orient around it? So in my first book in particular, um, since it's it's the murder of a food critic, obviously um, a particularly nasty, you know, vitriolic uh, food critic, the main suspects are all are are fellow restaurateurs that he that he has harmed in some way. So for this first one, like you get a sense of the community and the world of Shady Palms, Shady Palms being my ridiculously named small town, uh, because her and her best friend go visit each of these restaurants in their investigation. And all these restaurants kind of represent like a different microcosm. So like one is like, you know, a greasy spoon Greek diner. Another one is like a new Mexican restaurant in town. One is like, you know, like a Japanese sushi restaurant. And like, and you just like all these different people and all these different worlds and how they relate to this town that she thought she had left for good so many years ago. So it's not just the town as it exists now, it's how my protagonist is reintegrating herself after after her fall from grace, shall we say. So circling back around to your story in particular uh, with food, I would think one of the best things about writing in a genre that does center food and then in your book it being a big part would be you know, trying all these different foods and finding your favorites Mm -hmm. and including recipes and things. Do you have a favorite dish, a favorite meal that you've gotten to include in your series? I have a lot of favorites. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. So in the first book, uh, one of her favorite, like I don't describe it that much, but it does show up in time to time because, you know, another thing where, you know, when I say that it's culture, so like a lot of, like if you are not necessarily Filipino, like you know, like, oh, wow, there's just like a lot of food here. Like they're just constantly talking around food. But I was on a panel with other Filipino authors who were not mystery authors. Like we were all, we all just happened to be Filipino and we wrote in kidlet and adult and different genres and all different kinds of things. And the title of the panel was Kumain uh, Kanaba, which is Have You Eaten? Or like directly translated. And that's how people greet you, like in the Philippines. They ask, oh, have you eaten? You know, which goes to show how important food is to us. And, you know, one of them, um, oh, and I think you know, Gail, Gail uh, D. Villanueva, she was also involved with Pitch Wars. She was saying that, like, her American editor was just like, why are they always eating? And she's like, what are you talking about? This is what we do. You know, like, <laughs> every time we get together to talk about something, figure things out, we always have food or snacks available. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, I didn't realize that I was unconsciously including so much food just because that's how I thought that's that's how I personally connect with people. When I visited family in the Philippines, it's like you would have breakfast and then two hours later you'd have merienda, which is snack time. And then two hours later you'd have lunch and then another two hours you'd have like merienda and then you'd have dinner and then maybe you'd have another merienda. And like that's just like your your day revolves around hanging out with people and eating like that's every like everything is structured in that neighborly way of sharing and it doesn't have to be it can just be like a cup of coffee and like a piece of bread right but like you're sitting down and talking over food 
I think it's cozy. Like that's one of the things like that makes a cozy mystery, whether yeah. it's like food that people write about, like such in like in yours, culinary cozies or mm-hmm. whatever it is. That's kind of the thing. It makes it like the friendly cousin in the crime yeah. family. <laughs> like, yeah. we're going to feed you before we find the body. You know, here's some flowers. Yeah. Here's a dog. I love cozies. Yeah. It is funny that I do, I do definitely have to pull it back a bit. Cause like my, you know, my editors will be like, oh, this is a lot of fun. Like you're really developing these relationships, but like, this is a mystery. <laughs> like, is she going to like investigate? <laughs> so, you know, a lot of my invest investigating for my protagonist you know, to like an average like mystery reader, it might not seem like she's doing much because she's just going out and talking to people and having a meal together. But she's learning so much through these interactions that can maybe be subtle because she's not literally like hunting down and finding like a bloody knife or you, you know what I mean? It, it's not the typical like she finds physical pieces of evidence the way you sometimes see it. It's her relationships that get her the information she needs to put like the, the puzzle pieces together. I think that's one of the enticing things about cozies like when people read them Mm -hmm. it feels like it could happen to you or your best friend probably although it wouldn't really play out like that if you tripped over a body (laughs) but in your head you think oh I could do that I could talk to these people and have some food and like go visit this flower Mm -hmm. shop and do all these things so I wanted to ask you circling back around actually to the first thing you said you said uh you've got your first sentence it came to you all at once. You knew this character. It was just like a lightning bolt. Did you know at that moment it was going to be a cozy mystery? Or were you thinking this could be a rom-com? Or did you know you were writing mysteries? Oh, yeah. I knew it would be a cozy mystery. Um, so, like, I had another book. Before, so, my Pitch Wars book was not cozy. It was traditional. But there was definitely some language that people would not be cool with. And you know, in certain, like, uh, other, other circumstances that um, would not fit well. But with this one, I knew that the tone would fit perfectly in the cozy mystery genre. It's like it's my mom's favorite genre. She's the one who introduced me um, to like what because like, she works as a page at a, at a library and she was like shelving books one day, and she was just like, "Oh, chocolate chip cookie murder. What's this about?" And uh, you know, and it's like, <laughs> you know, <Sold>. and you know. <laughs> finding something that combined our love of mystery with food I was like oh cool all in like it's not super diverse but it gives me something to talk to my mom about and so like I literally wrote a book that my mom could read something she could like finally see on the shelf and be like this is for me that's amazing that's really amazing um I don't want my parents to read any of my books (laughs) (laughs) again that's why I cozy yeah (laughs) So talking about that, I know cozy, and I even hate to say traditionally has been, because it shouldn't Mm -hmm. be this way. It should never traditionally Mm -hmm. be this way, but it has been a very like cisgendered, straight, white Mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. I know you mentioned queerness and I know you are Filipino and your characters are, Mm -hmm. has this been like a good experience bringing this to the genre? Yeah, I mean... It's one of those things where there is a lot of weight and pressure that is unnecessarily placed on authors like me because we are considered a risk and we have to prove ourselves in different ways. One, uh, that we are not that we're not niche, right? That the general audience were like, just because you know, like I'm not writing only for Filipino Americans, like that would be, I would be making so little money, you know, because because even if I reached every single one that lived in the U.S., like it, there's no guarantee they'd buy my book. That's it's impossible. 
So we have to convince like, no, we're human just like you. You should also read our stories. So like we have to convince people that. And then there's also the more like insidious like gatekeeping where like because there's so little representation that people te- like people within the community tend to judge it even harsher, right? Like if it doesn't match up with their idea of what being Filipino means, of being what queer means, of being whatever, you know, insert, you know, historically underrepresented background, you know, those are usually the loudest and the harshest ones. Those are the ones that hurt the most because those are the ones that like you want to connect to and they're like trashing you. So, you know, luckily, like I haven't had too many people doing that to me directly, but I, that is sadly something I was warned about pre-debut from other marginalized writers who were like, hey, FYI, I love your book. I'm so excited for what you're bringing, but this happens and be prepared for it. And, you know, it doesn't happen a lot, but it's, those are the ones that stand out the most, of course. You know, those are the ones you remember. Right. I think this is a good place to add, too, for our listeners who are readers to know that if you want to help an author out, especially an author from like an underrepresented place, I'm losing my words today. The, one of the best things you can do is go online and leave a review for the book. If you love the book, talk about how much you love the book. Tell people you love the book and leave stars for the book. I wanted to ask you, too, because this really stuck out to me when I was on your website and I was looking at your books. Homicide and Hollow Hollow's tagline reads, Death at a beauty pageant turns Tita Rosie's kitchen upside down in the latest entry of this witty and humorous cozy mystery series by Mia P. Mananzala. I have to ask you, are you a former pageant girl? Was that a thing that you did when you were younger? Oh, no, not at all. So, <laughs> but, but there, you know, it's one of those things where like I asked myself, what is the one thing that small town America and the Philippines has in common? Their love of beauty pageants and beauty queens. <laughs> Like, yes, it's a stereotype. And yes, it is pretty much true. Like my mom, who has zero interest in like fashion and make like, in, you know, like really doing yourself a beauty, like she has no interest in that whatsoever. But she loves watching those, you know, like extended family would always be, you know, again, like I, I call it in the book, like I didn't even realize like there's the, the big four, which is like Miss America, Miss Unit, you know, like they're like very specific pageants that are well known. And like, there's a whole cottage industry in the Philippines of like, grooming beauty queens it's like a big deal wow (laughs) that's interesting my mind instantly goes to miss congeniality (laughs) yes Yes. i watched that and drop dead gorgeous and i'm like it's research yes i'm not procrastinating it's research (laughs) i forgot about drop there is a murder there is a murder in miss congeniality yeah (laughs) i'm not proud to say this Talk about small town America. I was in the Mayhaw Festival pageant when I was a teenager. Yeah. And I'm just like, that's a thing that happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, no shade to beauty pageants. Like, I understand that the, the, the girls who play, like, usually, like, there's, you know, I say, like, there's usually a very generous scholarship attached oh, yeah. to it, right? Like, there, like, there's a re- like there's a reason. Like, I was doing research because I, I wanted to know why do Filipinos love it so much? Mm-hmm. And, you know. For a lot of the women who compete, it's one of the only ways for them to get ahead. Like most of them live in poverty. Like a lot of the ones like that's that's their way of getting out. And then once they make it, that's how they give back to their community. Mm. That's how they take care of their family. So like, you know, in the Philippines, you're never just a beauty queen. Like you're you you have to become like a social activist, basically. Like you become like the face of like wherever like area you're from. It's a big deal. 
And, you know, college ain't cheap here. No, <laughs> no, it is not. So I remember being a little girl and like watching beauty pageants on the screen and then actually doing one when I was older, of course, where I was from and where I was living. It was completely different. It, it was like these little, just like what you see on television, like these small little festival random pageants. Like Louisiana mm-hmm. is like covered in them, but there there is money attached to it and there is scholarships attached to it. But I had no idea that it was such a big thing in Filipino culture. That's very interesting. And I don't know, like like you said, no shade to beauty pageants. I think if people choose to do that and they want to do that, there's definitely, you know, it looks, it's fun. <laughs> there's pageantry, mm-hmm. there's dresses, if that's mm-hmm. your thing. I mean, they're like, there are like underlying issues oh, with yeah. some, you know, with with some of the, the events and like how you're scored and things like that. But like, if you are like, hey, you know, I want to go to college. This is what I know. This is how I know how to get out. Right. No shade. If you're like, hey, this looks fun. This is how I want to spend a few hours. No shade. Those are some hardworking ladies with some incredible talents. (laughs) Let me tell you. Yeah. Blows my mind what they accomplished. Yeah. But also like that world is so catty and competitive though. Like I I say no shade, but at the same time for many people, it's all shade. Yeah. And that's what made it so fun to write. That's awesome. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, I think no matter what sort of spin you put on it, if you're setting a a story within that type of beauty pageant world, there are certain tropes that are starting to get embedded into that regardless that have to be a lot of fun to play with. Did you have any favorites as you wrote? You know, I, yeah, I guess I, you know, I got to do the whole typical, like, super bratty prima donna one. Um, I got to do the, you know, trying to be different, breakout, you know, making a statement um, kind of thing. With this book, too, is no joke. People always talk about, uh, like, second book syndrome. This book was so hard mm. to write. You know, second book syndrome on top of a pandemic, <laughs> on top of, you know, like, all the other things. It was, like, rough. So, I mean, there are some areas where I'm like... Man, I wish at the time I had climbed off of that soapbox. I might have been a little too on the nose with that dialogue. But you know what? Like, I did the best that I could at that time. But certain characters clearly had things to say about their feelings, <laughs> on, on part, about particular beauty tropes. Something I don't agree with, but I was just like, you know what? I'm going to make that. Like, they're teenagers. They're going to feel very passionate about this. Go ahead. Go and say this thing. But, yeah, just letting that, I don't know. I like I don't write YA, but like just channeling the feeling of being a teenager where everything is so intense and you feel everything so strongly because it's a teenage beauty pageant, by the way, it's okay. Miss Teen Shady Palms. Okay. Um, so like being able to write those characters, having that kind of like earnestness as opposed to like, you know, being a little bit older, or you're a little more jaded. I was just like, oh, you precious babies. I hope everything <laughs> works out for you. Even you, even you being like a total bitch. It's fine. You'll figure it out, I'm sure. <laughs> Teenagers blossom. Oh, yeah. It's like walking emotions. Like if they're happy, it's yeah. everything. If they're angry, it's burned down the world. <laughs> it's the end of the world. So you, I imagine that was a lot of fun mm-hmm. to create in a pageant, in a pageant world, in a pageant scene. Is there a genre that your readers would be surprised to find out that you love to read outside of your own? Like something that's like just very different than Cozy's? Um, like interesting enough, we had, um, an indie romance writer on here and her favorite thing to actually read is cozy mysteries. Mm. She was like, she can't get enough of them, 
but she writes Scottish romance. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because like a lot of, like I've heard again this is like anecdotal, but I've heard so the reason there's so many like rom-com tropes I think in is that like someone told me that a lot of romance writers left romance when it got too steamy for them and they migrated over to cozy mystery where they still got to have like a ro- like a heavy romantic element, but you know, very specifically like they're, they're not expected to have any like on-page steam or anything like that. But as for me, anything surprise? I mean, I guess like if you just like look at me or like know that like I write cozy mysteries, like you won't know that like I'm a huge geek. So like I really love like graphic novels and playing like video games and things like that. And like I used to be like I re- I didn't think I was gonna be a mystery writer. I thought I was gonna be a fantasy writer, particularly like kid lit fantasy. But I'm just like so behind in reading anything SFF because like there's some amazing work out there and they're like a thousand pages long. And I'm just like, I do not, mom does not have the attention span for that right now. Right now, all I'm reading is romance, like BIPOC romance, because it brings me so much joy. (laughs) Um, It's like everything that's happening now. That's what I was going to say. You have to get the joy where you can find it right now. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Should we switch gears? I think so. Before we wrap up, we can play our troped out this or that game. This is a real quick, you know, just kind of gut reaction. We're going to give you two options, different tropes, Mm -hmm. and you just have to tell us which one you would pick. Oh, fake dating, period. Done. We don't have to do this part. I'll I'll die on this hill. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. But like, fake dating. Yes, but go. I I want to hear hear the options. (laughs) (laughs) They'll be from different genres, um, your own and some other. So you just, I don't know. Just don't overthink (laughs) it, I guess. All right. We'll start with something a little bit related to your genre here. Little Old Lady Sleuth or Detective Pet? Ooh. Little Old Lady Sleuth. I know that sounds weird because the dog in my series is somehow like the most popular character. Like, People are constantly writing and telling me to put Longanisa in my Longanisa the name of the dog more. And she's cute and adorable, but I think there's something really devious about old ladies. There is. They know it's right. what. Because you can get away with saying anything when you're an old lady. <laughs> Do anything and then smile. Which makes me think, okay, I'm sorry, sidebar. Arsenic and adobo. Did you get think of this like arsenic and old lace? Is that a lot of people <laughs> ask me that? So, like, it's got completely unrelated. So, like, I originally sold it under a different title, Love, Loss, and Lumpia. Lumpia being another Filipino food. But my editors rightly said that it didn't it didn't read mystery, you know, like you want to be able to tell right away what kind of it almost read like women's fiction. So they were like, we need a new title. And I gave them like a, a long list of because um, oh, another like hallmark of like cozies are usually like pun titles, like, you know, like murder most foul, but it's F.O.W.L. <laughs> and like you work on a farm. But, you know, you can't really pun with Filipino food. It's a little difficult. So, like, I wanted to go with, like, the typical, like, crime word and, like, Filipino food. And so I I made a whole list, and they chose the one they liked best. And I'm like, why didn't I think of this earlier? Like, why didn't I think of this when I was querying? This is clearly a better title. It really works. Okay, I'm going to ask you one more thing. Circling back Uh on the little old lady is just R.I.P. Betty White. We've been watching a lot of Golden Girls this week in honor. And now you've got me thinking, like such a missed opportunity that she never played like a old lady Wait, crime fighter. She, remember Lake Placid? Oh, I thought you were going to say a bad guy. I was going to say, oh, that would have been fun too. Lake Placid? I didn't see that. Didn't she like feed people to crocodiles? <gasps> I, I was, it was like the late nineties. I don't know. Yeah. I think like Betty White fed people to crocodiles. Well, that's something for me to circle back on. 
Oh my yeah. God. You have to check it out. I think she played like a devious old lady. That's, look, that's, that's the book, Devious Old Ladies. And you mm-hmm. just, I think there actually is like a collection of like short stories. I'm like, I want to say she's they're like, a, it's a Swedish author. It's like, a little old lady is up to no good or something like that. And it's just like, and I'm not, I don't want to say too much because like, if you like, like one excellent title. And then two, when you go into the short stories, not knowing what to expect, you're like, oh my God, like <laughs> what is happening? Like you, you think it's like this cute, it's like, it's almost like, um, a really cutesy like knit pattern on the cover and then you start reading these short stories and you're like oh oh man oh no okay. i'm in for that that sounds it's amazing. a lot of fun no i'm definitely going to go on libby as soon as this is over and look for that. so okay here we go secret royal or secret baby Ooh. so i've been right like I don't like Secret Baby in romance, but Secret Baby is excellent in mystery. I can tell you that. Mm, okay. <laughs> All right. We've been waiting for the person to pick Secret Baby because so far it's zero for three. <laughs> but I, it is yeah. a whole different meaning in mystery than in uh, romance. Exactly. It depends on the genre, yeah, yeah. right? Like, uh, you know, give me Princess Switch for like romance. But like if we're doing mystery, it's got to be a Secret Baby because that leads to drama. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Maybe one more. Let's tap into uh, your SFF love a little bit here. Werewolf attack or vampire attack? Ooh. Oh, man. I feel like I'm going to go real basic and say vampire. That seems right to me, personally. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, if you're getting, like, changed, I guess, that's mm-hmm. definitely the better experience. Yeah, I would imagine, right? I mean, like, in what we do in the shadows, like, I don't know, like, the werewolves seem real cool <laughs> and bro but, like, I just feel like... It's a very different experience, you know? I think you have to be a very particular type of person to want to be a werewolf. You have to be, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just picture, like, a tough, outdoorsy person. Yeah, exactly. Like, like you know, like, they're a pack. Like, you're a big bro, right, exactly. you know? Like, if I was, like, walking around and I loved camping, and she, I'd be like, oh, yeah, turn me into a <laughs> werewolf. That makes sense. But, like, no, I want to be lazy and dress fancy and be decadent. Yeah. And never age. Yeah. So I'm going to like, that was going to be the last one. But since you did that one, EJ, I got to ask it sister question. Okay. Taking it from science fiction and fantasy. This is a weird question. You don't have to answer it. (laughs) Taking it to romance, vampire or werewolf? Ooh, so that is actually something about a werewolf is like very alpha and I don't usually go for that. But it could be like a, I I would say like a werewolf, oddly enough, a werewolf would be more of a fling. (laughs) Where I see like a vampire could be like a more, I mean, like literally like, oh man, forever we're stuck together kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. So it depends on like how romantic am I going? Am I going pure like, like sexual or am I going to like like romantic relationship? Like that depends on where I'm at. (laughs) You tell us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I would have trust issues with a vampire though. Like they just Mm, seem like. I don't know. Like, they have several things going on. I think a dorky werewolf would be mm. the key. Not too alpha. So you want, like, a beta? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I kind of like... I mean, I do appreciate a good himbo. So, like, I think a werewolf. Yeah. Mm. You know, you're you're swaying me here, Em. What, sorry, AJ, what are you saying? <laughs> I was going to say, kind of like the vampire's ruthlessness. Like, I feel like as long as you're not, like... As long as you're, like, on the same page about who you're with and who you're against, like, it's going to be fantastic. Fantastic. But then, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like when you're a vampire, 
you're just so used to like the alliances but then the enemies and so eventually everything turns sour and then you just like i think i'd want to be best friends with the vampire and date the werewolf i think Mm. maybe yeah give me like a really like a a dumb sweet himbo werewolf and like we are in business yes i feel like the vampire would like do mind games like like after centuries they're like i'm bored like let's just mess with you and like that would get real toxic i'm like i have no thank you Probably I need right. this dum dum over here to like make feel There's better. There's something about a sweet dum dum. You're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a blast. Before we go, uh, why don't you tell readers where they can find you online? So your website, your social media, and uh, give us your your quick pitch for your new book one last time. We'll put all the links in the notes. And go ahead. Yeah, sure. So you can find me. My website is www.miapmadansala.com. So just like my full name. And I have the same handle on all social media. So it's at MPM, my initials, MPM the writer. Um, and so Homicide and Halo Halo takes place a few months after the first book. And our protagonist, Lila, is trying to move on from these events not doing too well and suddenly she gets dragged into these beauty pageant shenanigans that she has a connection to from her past her mother is a deceased beauty queen and so all the events that are going on are dredging up these like old feelings of resentment between her and her frenemy slash cousin bernadette awesome thanks i can't wait to check it out genuinely i love cousin drama that's perfect (laughs) (laughs) and uh listeners please don't forget to subscribe and leave your review and find us on social media at Troped Out Pod.